we're back in Genesis 37. Actually, I say back. We didn't really look at Genesis 37 last week. Um, so what we're doing is, is we're going to fly the drone really high up, right? And that's what we did last week. We, from Genesis to Revelation, the theme of exile and exaltation. Uh, and its climax is in Christ, of course, right? And, and our goal is to look verse by verse through the story of Joseph, which will bring us to the end of our study of Genesis. This is at least a three or four year process that we've been going through. Uh, we've had some interruptions along the way. Uh, usually whenever I, I need a break, uh, we'll look at something else. Um, but what I want us to see is that theme of exile and exaltation is, is the main theme of Joseph. Now, if we wanted to, and I'm going to try to avoid it, we could look at other themes through Joseph. It's a beautifully written story. Um, a, a theme of suffering and providence and the role providence plays in our suffering is throughout Joseph. It's usually uh, traditionally the way I used to do Joseph as one story. Um, but I think the exiled one gets us closer to the heart of uh, Scripture. So we're going to take that broad narrative and just focus in on the Joseph story. We'll start here in uh, Genesis 37. And what we see immediately is... Uh, um, Joseph is going to go from exaltation to exile. As we said last week, the story will then flip by which he will go from exile into exaltation. Um, So Genesis 37, uh, of course, the story of Joseph starts with him as a teenager. um, And he's really portrayed as like a a bragging teenager, right? Um, I mean, he's kind of, a, kind of one of those young kids you just want to boink in the eyes for his own good. You know, that was a phrase my, my grandfather used all the time. Uh, kid needs to be boinked in the eyes, right? Um, you know, just <laughs> I just think that's funny. And I've always loved it whenever he would say that when I was growing up. Uh, Boy, you need to be boinked in the eyes. Um, and Joseph was one of those, right? He, he, you notice that the story begins with exaltation, um, so uh, because of all that we have, we can't read all of it. So I, I trust your familiarity. Verses 5 through 11, Joseph gets his dreams. Now, as you will see, all the dreams in Joseph, there's many of them. It's the greatest consecration of dreams next to Daniel. And Joseph and Daniel have so many parallels. And we'll see some of them today and, and, and later as we go verse by verse through the story. But Joseph's dreams always come in pairs. So he has two dreams here. Uh, later, when he's in prison, there will be two separate dreams he interprets, followed by Pharaoh, who has two dreams he has to interpret. Right? So, so they're always in pairs. And here, here he has two of them, and they have basically the same interpretation. Now, what's fascinating is no interpretation is ever given here in chapter 37. The brothers and Jacob and, and uh, his wives all know what, what they are. It's, it's allegorical. All the dreams are allegorical. And, and they pick up that what Joseph is doing is he is claiming for himself exaltation. Now, uh, real quick, uh, the first four verses, I want you to notice the language. We'll look, again, we'll look at this more. I've already got a head start for next week, so I've got all that in my head too. Um, verse two, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brother, so he's a shepherd. Um, he was a boy with the sons of Bilhad and Zilpah. Does anyone have a different translation than boy? Lad. Lad? Oh, what is this? Is that New King James? Yeah. Youth. Youth? Okay. What you got, Danny? No, I'm sorry. I got New King James and it says lad. Lad. Okay. What, what, what's, what's, what's Eugene Peterson got in the message? Half-brother. Uh, these words, it says these words, half-brothers. Okay. 
Um, let, let me just point something out. Uh, so it sounds like Peterson is just going to bypass some of the nuance. So, uh, yes, he's 17 years old, which makes him adult in, in, in this sort of culture, right? But uh, once you notice that uh, lad, I actually like that translation. To be more specific, the idea is he's an aide or a helper. So it actually starts with Joseph as the little runt. Right? He, he's the son of Rachel. Remember, Rachel couldn't have kids for a long time. So all these other brothers are born. And then later comes, comes Joseph, and he is treated by his brothers as the helper. He's, he's the lad. He's, 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 he's the little fella. He, he just runs all the errands. He does everything. So, so we get the impression that he is the, 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 the last thought on everyone's mind, right? He's, he's, he's of no significance. He's not the oldest like Reuben. He's not mighty like Judah. He's just little Joe. Now, uh, keep reading, and, and uh, we'll see more of this little really next week, is that the parallels between the story of Joseph and Daniel, or David, rather, are here, right? Because in chapter 37, what you got is a little shepherd boy who then has to go track down his brothers to report back to his father. It's the story of David. Uh, and and uh, remember that David is overlooked by his brothers and by his father, and Joseph seems to have that himself. So if we, if we, want, to, if we want to be... Uh, more precise, the story starts from exile, he's a nobody, to all of a sudden he has these dreams, I'm a somebody. So, so he is exalting himself there. And that, that's, that's where we, we, we get really kind of turned off by Joseph, right? Because he's, he's taking these dreams, which could mean anything, right, to the reader, because we've not had a lot of dreams in Genesis. We've had a few. But he interprets them as, I am, I'm going to rule over you. And yet we're introduced to a nobody who thinks he's a somebody, and so it doesn't take long, especially as you keep reading going down to verse 10 and 11, that his brothers do not like him. And so what we get in verses 12 through 37, the rest of chapter 37, is, is Joseph will go from that attitude of exaltation to the reality of exile. So he is sent to track down his brothers, to check in on them. It's kind of viewed as a tattletale. Read, read those opening verses and, and you'll see it. Um, and, and so his, his father sends him out to track them down. It's a whole story in and of itself. Um, and the brothers have had enough. Now, I want you to notice this. Joseph goes into the field where he will potentially be murdered by his brothers. This is a repeat of the story of Jacob or a story of Cain. Later in the story of Jacob, we see something similar that that. Uh, Esau comes from the field, right? Um, so, 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 so this is a, a common theme. Look at chapter 37, verse 18. We see this. Uh, the brothers saw Joseph from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Uh, it, it's literally the Lord of dreams, but all of dreams, right? It's, it's a term of, of mockery. They, they gave him a title, um, but but it's, it's just really to the mock him. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands. Let us not take his life. Now, it's, it, there's so much here, right? Um, um, one notice that um, they associate this, this act of violence with that of, 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 of an animal. They will blame an animal for what they do, which is animalistic in of itself. 
So this is the dehumanizing effect of sin. Sin will always dehumanize us. Temptation tells us two competing lies. One, we are divine. Two, we are nothing but animals. Read all the temptation stories. Satan tempting Jesus. Man should not live by bread alone. Didn't God say that he wouldn't let uh, what your, 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 the land? Right? And so, so it's all over the place. Don't you know the day you eat of it, you will be like God? Right? So, so those two competing uh, narratives are always when it comes to temptation. But if you read Genesis, um, like when Cain goes to kill Abel, what does God say? Sin is crouching at the door. What, what happened with Adam and Eve is it is an animal, a serpent, a creature that is there to lead them into temptation. All that language is, is, is significant. But notice the reference to pits. This is, this is the important part. Uh, they say, look, what we're going to do, we're going to throw them into one of these pits. And then we're going to tell dad he's been, he's been uh, killed by a wild animal. Right? He'll, he'll believe it. Which is interesting is Jacob did something similar to his father. Jacob, which means deceiver, deceived his father. Now the deceiver's offspring are going to deceive him. And they throw him down these pits. This is a cistern. We, we know this uh, later on. That word pit is important because in the Bible, the word pit is a metaphor for the grave. I think I can prove this to you. Psalm 30, verse 3. Oh, Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. Now, that is a transliterated word, Hebrew. The Hebrew word is Sheol. Um, and it's a complicated word for our sake. Let's make it a reference to the grave or more generally death. It couldn't mean the afterlife. Right? It's, a, it's a complicated word with a rich meaning and, and a somewhat ambiguous meaning. There's a lot of debate over it, but at the very least, it references the grave. Okay? So, uh, David, you've brought my soul from the grave, from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Now, this is an example of Hebrew parallelism. We don't have this in English poetry. We'll do alliteration. We'll do rhyme. Uh, we, we love uh, metaphors and similes in our poetry. We don't do parallelism. Hebrew poetry, it's all over the place. Read the Proverbs. Read the Psalms. Notice that the first line, you brought me out of Sheol, is paralleled with the second line, you restored me from the pit. A parallelism is when you say the same thing twice in two different ways. And in Hebrew, the way you emphasize something is through repetition. Right? It's the way my daughter tells stories. Right? I mean, if, if, if you were to write out her stories by tran, transcription, right, and, and she wanted to publish that thing, it, and, and I got a hold of it, it'd be half the length, right, at the most. Right? I mean, oh, okay, I get it. You're in the car. Where'd you go? Just tell me, all right? Um, uh, but you can see it here. So Sheol is matching the pit. Let me give you another example of this, 143.7. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Well, who are those who go down to the pit? Those whose, whose face are hidden from the Lord. Uh, those in Sheol. Uh, Proverbs 1.2, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive. This isn't Proverbs, it's probably Psalms. No, that reference is wrong. Like those who go down to the pit. In the story in Numbers, you remember when uh, God opens up the earth and they go and they're swallowed into the earth. They go down to a pit, right? They go into the grave, literally. Their graves open up. It's like a pit. They go, they, they, they go right, right down there. Um, um, uh, where is it? Later, um, 
I think it's verse 35. Yeah, verse 35 here. Um, Notice Jacob's language. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort Jacob. when they say, hey, look, an animal killed him. He refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. You see what the author's done for us. It's such good writing, isn't it? Once you see it, you'll never unsee it. Joseph is in a pit. And, and so in the narrative, we associate the pit with the grave. So this is the ultimate exile, right? This isn't new in Genesis. What is the exile, the ultimate exile of Adam and Eve? It isn't just to go east of Eden. It's death. The day that you eat of the fruit, you will die. That is the ultimate exile. So here's Joseph going away from the land, and he's thrown into a pit. A pit is a metaphor for death. And here Jacob understands the imagery. I too, he says, will go down the Sheol mourning. David will say something similar about the death of uh, his firstborn with Bathsheba. Shall he come to me? No, I shall go down to the pit with him. Uh, so so we, we are meant to see this. Uh, but before they can murder him, Reuben wants to rescue him. You see that in verses 21 to 24. His plan is to have Joseph thrown into a pit. This is about 16 feet deep. These pits were used for a lot of things. This is a cistern. It's empty. So I think there's a double meaning there. One, he can't drown. Secondly, he can't survive. You need water in, in the Middle Eastern heat. So, so again, the pit is, is a picture of death. Um, but he is stripped of his robe, a, a, a symbol of dethroning. Here is someone who has exalted himself. Now he has been stripped and he is cast into the pit. And then what we get in verses 25 to 28, Joseph is sold uh, in, in, into slavery. Uh, go down to verse 25. Then um, they sat down to eat. I think it's a reference to the garden. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? So now, right, it's not the story of Cain. It's, it's, it's going to be something else. This is going to be like the story of Abraham, which brings back from Egypt slaves. But now what you have is the first slave of Egypt is sold by his Jewish brother. Contemplate that for a minute. The first Jewish slave in Egypt was sent there by his own brothers. By the way, these are your patriarchs. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's just a crazy story. Um, so, uh, verse 27, Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. His brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up. Notice now he is up and lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. They took him down into Egypt, literally. So, notice in the narrative, he has come up only to go down. And that's not the first time we've seen that. He was down as a lad to exalt himself, to be brought down into the pit, at which he was brought out of the pit to go down into Egypt. These details are really, really important to to the biblical author. Um, And, of course, then then they tell tell Jacob uh, what what has happened. Well, the story gets interrupted in chapter uh, 38, uh, with, with a really bizarre story with Judah. Um, 
But in chapter 39, Joseph is in exile. He's in Egypt. And he is a slave. But notice here, he is the chief of Potiphar's slaves. So he is in exile, but he's being exalted. So he's gone down into exile, but now he has come up. So 39 verse 1, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. You see it there? And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of, of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him up from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. <laughs> it's all over the place if, if you just look for it. So even though that the Ishmaelites brought him down, Potiphar brought him up. So, so he's still a slave, and, um, but he's, he's an exalted slave, if, if we can use, use, use that language. Um, and in verses two to six, we see that God is with him. Verse two, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. He was in the house of, the, of his Egyptian master. His master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had been his overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on him all he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So the story's gone from uh, he's lowly to exaltation to exile. Um, now again to a type of exaltation. Now, what happens in verses 7 to 39 is the return to exile. So he is in Egypt, which is his ultimate exile, because the story of Joseph doesn't end until he's out of Egypt. Um, but while he's there, he, he, he gets the promise of, you know, um, he's, he's the overseer of Potiphar's household, a position of prominence. But then what happens? He comes to the tree of temptation. This is in the form of his master's wife. The language mirrors the Garden of Eden. We won't look at any details. We'll come back to it in a few weeks. But it is a retelling of the Garden of Eden narrative. Here, the seductress, to use the language of Proverbs, uh, is a type of serpent. And the question is, will, will Joseph take of the fruit or will he reject it? And he rejects it. And what happens? He's falsely accused and is then sent to prison. The text tells us that imprisonment is a type of exile. Uh, go to chapter 40, verse 15, right? So this is, this is where he, he's going to interpret the dreams, but he's down there in prison. Chapter 40, verse 15. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. It's interesting. He's already calling it the land of the Hebrews, but they don't possess the land. That's just a fascinating detail. Here also I had done nothing that they should put me into the pit. He's not in the pit. He's in prison. But the narrator wants us to see the connection. Joseph is a roller coaster of a story, as you can already tell, right? He starts here, exalts himself, falls down, goes up, goes down. He rises up with Potiphar. Now he's down again. And there's these linguistic connections hyperlinking along the way. So he equates prison with his experience in Dotham with the pit. He is in another pit. It's as if he is in the grave again. So here we see him in 
exile. Well, this is the turning point. It is at his lowest point in the narrative that, that God intervenes and exalts Joseph. Because this is one of the themes is that Joseph was a terrible human being when he was exalting himself. He believed all of his own PR. Now, the dreams were prophetic, but so long as he just assumed it was his divine right to rule, he couldn't rule because no one would follow him. But when he was humbled by God, then he is made ready to trust in God's providence that when the time came, he could lead well and people would follow. And he experiences that through Potiphar and through uh, the pit of, of prison. So what, what happens in prison? He meets two guys, as you do in prison, I guess, and they have two dreams. And these two dreams, one is exaltation, you will be restored to your position with Pharaoh. The other is exile. You will be beheaded. Um, it's uh, literally that the language is the lifting up and the lifting off. The lifting up in terms of position, you'll get your, your job back. The other is the lifting off of the head. That's the literal Hebrew language. So, hey, that's Bible. That's not me. But it's the language of exile and exaltation. One will go to the grave down. The other will go to, to the throne up. Right. Um, so um, you, you can read those again. We'll look at these in, in, in some detail uh, later. The cupbearer is lifted up. He's restored. The chief baker is uh, hanged. Um, I said severed. He, he's hanged. Um, it's not an accident. It has to do with the neck and the head. But um, the problem is, is that the uh, cupbearer, who is exalted, right? He's returned. He's lifted up. He's supposed to remember Joseph, and he forgets. Men do that sort of thing, right? Uh, right, ladies? It's frustrating, I know. Um, but after this point, this is the story of exaltation. So in chapter 41, what do we get? Two more dreams. This time it's of Pharaoh. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Um, they encompass 14 cows is the first dream. 14 ears of corn is the second dream. Both dreams have the same interpretations. Interesting. Notice the first two dreams we get in the story of Joseph are from one individual and two dreams have the same interpretation. Joseph had two dreams and the interpretation is he will rule over his brother and father. Pharaoh has two dreams with one interpretation. Seven years of plenty, seven years of, of, of famine. That's why you have 14 years of corn, 14 cattle. Right, because seven to seven is 14 for those who went to public school in Owen County. Um, so then it's at that moment that the cupbearer remembers uh, there is this guy that helped me interpret dreams and what he said came true. Now notice here you have the men around Pharaoh cannot perform what the son of Jacob can. This will later be picked up with Moses. Remember that the, uh, some of Pharaoh's magicians could replicate some of the plagues. I don't know why you would want to do that. I would think that if someone does a plague, you can prove how powerful you are by undoing the plague. But what do I know, right? Um, but not all of the things, right? When Moses' dragon or Aaron's dragon, remember his staff turns into a snake, the word is dragon. Um, it devours Pharaoh's snakes. That's first hinted at here. Pharaoh's surrounded by uh, men who supposedly can interpret dreams, but it takes a son of, of Jacob to do it. Um, so he is, 
he is brought up in, in chapter 41, verses 37 to 57, you get Joseph is being exalted. He is in the pit. He's in Sheol, right? This is where he goes to die. Pharaoh calls him. And what does Pharaoh do? He is washed. He is shaved. He is robed. Isn't that cool? I bet you've read the story of Joseph and you never notice he's wearing a robe again. But it's not any robe. It's the robe that a king would, 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 would give you. So, so the story began with Joseph being robed by his father, the famous uh, coat of many colors. Here's your homework. Find the one other time that that phrase, coat of many colors or robe of many colors, is used in the Bible. And then try to find the parallels. I think there is a connection. Anyways, um, so he's given that robe and it's stripped off of him, a, a symbol of, of, of rejection, right? Um, when William Tyndale was executed, William Tyndale was an English preacher in the 16th century. He was executed for translating the Bible into English. Uh, before he was uh, uh, suffocated, I believe um, John Huss got the same treatment in the uh, 15th century, is he was defrocked. He was de derobed of his priestly garb, at which point John Huss was burned. William Tyndale was suffocated, and then his body was burned. Um, because that's symbolic imagery all over the world, is you would dethrone someone, and in so doing, you, you, you would remove their authority. Well, here Joseph is rewrote. He's truly exalted by order of a pharaoh. Um, um, and this leads to his ultimate exaltation. And how does it end? It ends with his brothers and his father. It's a long story. His brothers and his father uh, come to Egypt. They have now been exiled. And yet they come to one who has been exalted, but one who was exiled first on their behalf. And now that he's been exalted, they're exalted. They go from being in the pit of hunger and starvation during the famine. And now they are given the choice land of Goshen, by which, which point they are exalted. Isn't that fantastic? Joseph lives the story that the Israelites later will uh, that leads them to Egypt but he isn't a slave anymore. They don't recognize him because they remember the little brother who was a slave, but what stands before them is an exalted um, son of Pharaoh, if, if you will. It's a story of exaltation. Now, I said that the story of Joseph doesn't end until he returns to, uh, to Israel, and that's true. Uh, at the end of the book, Joseph gives sort of his last will and testament, and he says in there, don't bury me in Egypt." Bury my heart at wounded knee, right? Take, take me back to the promised land. And if you read through Exodus and Numbers and into Joshua, what do you find? They are carrying with them in the Ark of the Covenant the bones of Joseph. They will bury him at Shechem. This is the interesting part about Shechem. I think it's Shechem, yeah. Is Shechem is where his brothers were supposed to be pastoring Jacob's flock, but they decided to go somewhere else. So he is buried where he was supposed to track his brothers down. It's taken all the way over. That's the true end. It's exaltation beyond the grave in the land of promise. Now, a couple of points of application I, I want to give, um, and, and we can be done. Uh, first, exile does not mean abandonment. This is a big theme in Joseph. 
Um, when Joseph is in the pit, uh, in, in prison, he really feels as if he's been abandoned. Um, but um, you, you keep seeing throughout the narrative God's providential care. Joseph learns what Jacob had learned. Uh, I didn't put it up here. Uh, Genesis 26, the Lord appeared to Jacob the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father, fear not. Uh, this is Isaac, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. I am with you. That's a common theme throughout uh, Genesis. And of course, Solomon's temple, that's the main theme. Um, Joseph learns this, Genesis 39, 21. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The Lord was with him in prison. Now, what we Americans do is, if God's with me, why am I in prison? Notice here that it is God is with Joseph in the prison. It isn't just that Joseph goes into exile. God goes into exile with him. Which means when Joseph is exalted, God is exalted with him. God is with his people wherever his people may find themselves. This is later picked up by Jeremiah the prophets. That when you are, when you are sent out and dispersed, God is still with his people. He has saved a remnant and he will draw them back to himself into the promised land. And that is why Joseph can say, though I may be exalted here in Egypt, my true home is in the promised land. Um, faith requires much patience, right? I, I mean, would you like to spend all the years Joseph did in prison and everything else? Uh, most of us can, can barely make it through the weekend if things don't go right. Um, he was a slave for years. He was a prisoner for years. He was forgotten by the cupbearer for years. Um, and, and remember in Genesis, faith and patience are hand in glove. You can't have one without the other. If, you're, if you have faith with no patience, your faith is, isn't very good faith, is it? Lord, I believe you, but you got 30 minutes, right? That's, that's not faith. You have to have patience. Thirdly, um, like Joseph, we should, we should choose righteousness when we are sinned against. Um, it would be easy for Joseph to justify unrighteousness with, with Potiphar's wife, but he chooses righteousness. So, so Joseph really grows as an individual through, throughout it. Um, but the main point that we need to see here is that the story of Joseph is the story of Jesus. Because what we get with Jesus is that Joseph experiences the pits. But what we find throughout Scripture is this pattern of the people of God going into the pit only to rise out of it is all over the place. You could probably think of some. Daniel in the lion's den. Jeremiah is thrown into a cistern, Jeremiah 38, I think it is. Um, um, what about Jonah and the sea monster, right? We call it Jonah the whale. The word is sea monster. New American Standard has a sea monster, right? He, he is, he's, remember, if, if you read Jonah's um, prayer, the poetic prayer in Jonah 2, the chapter we all skip, he says that you rescued me from Sheol, from, the, from death. And the question is, did Jonah die? Well, it's poetic, so it could be either way, and that's, that's the point. But by going into the water, and Jews stayed away from water, um, it was as if he was going into the grave, right? But, but God rescued him. He, he brought him out of that exile, um, right? Now, I want to go back to Daniel. Why is the story of Daniel so important? Daniel goes into the lion's den. We, we looked at this a few weeks ago. But Daniel, we discover, wasn't alone. 
And, and it says that an angel was with him. Well, we discover who this angel is if you go to another story in the book of Daniel where the people of God are thrown into, to use a word, the pit. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we discover that this is the angel of the Lord, who I believe is the pre-incarnate Jesus. So notice the pattern we get in the Old Testament. When the people of God go into the pits, when they go into exile, God himself goes with them. What is the story of Jesus? It is not that the people of God go into exile, but that Jesus goes into exile for the people of God. Jesus goes into the pit. He goes into the grave. He suffers death on our behalf. We get a taste of it in the Old Testament, but its climax is really in Christ. And the exile of Jesus in the grave leads to the exaltation of Christ at the empty tomb so that he can then draw all the nations to himself and ascend to the right-hand throne of the Father, where every knee will bow, we said last week, and every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. And notice what happens to Jesus leading to the cross. He is derobed. And, and he is betrayed by his own brothers. Not just Judas, but the Jews in general. Let his blood be on us and on our children. It's the story of Joseph retold. But when he is raised, he is re-robed. But he's robed by God in the resurrection. But he's not a servant of Pharaoh, he's, he's the son of God. So what we see in the story of Joseph is a picture of our story in Christ. We too go into the grave, it's called baptism, only to be raised again anew, to be given a true and better robe, and our exaltation isn't in the self. That's what Joseph, where he made a mistake. Our exaltation is in the glory of Christ. And we wait for the day when we are not left in Egypt, but we are carried into the promised land. That's the ultimate exaltation. It's right there in the story of Joseph. And the writer wants us to see this. It's all over the place. Okay, Danny, did I miss anything? No, I think so. It's good stuff. <laughs> there. Hurry up, hurry up. All right, this is good stuff. So next week, we'll, we'll actually pick up the story of, of, of Joseph. We'll go verse by verse. But um, I hope you, you, you find this stuff as